podcast, TAF Talks. Why are we doing TAF Talks? Because we want you and everyone out there to learn about networking and building your career. And we want you to do it here in Kern County. We have wonderful organizations that have terrific jobs. And you may not know about all of them. And what we want to do with our TAF Talks is share with you and let you know because we have found that what you listen to today and what you take in today will definitely set you up in your life. It will be where you go and where you will be in five years. I do want to say welcome, everybody. It looks like we've got a nice group of people. I want to first of all introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Joshua Vasquez, who is our ASO president and is an amazing young person who has really added a lot of joy to our Zoom podcasts. And um, just want to welcome you, Josh. Thank you, Sherry. It's always a, a pleasure to be here. And I think the information that our guests have today will really be relevant to, to anybody, not even just within the state or within the country. This is something, the pandemic is something that we've all gone through. And I'm glad and excited to get some answers from these two professionals. Yes. And, you know, we do have two superheroes with us today, and they're both friends, and I admire them both. First, we have Ken Keller, who is the president CEO at Dignity Memorial Hospital. And then we also have Dr. Jasmine Baines, who I've known a long time, who worked at a clinic in Taft, and that's how we really got to know each other, and serves on our Taft College Foundation Board, and now is over at Dignity doing great things. So we're going to hear from both of them. But before we delve into, I guess, the whole pandemic and what's going on and their updates, I know Joshua had, a, had, a, had maybe a, a little update question. So we're going to take a few minutes just to maybe learn a little bit more about our guests. So Joshua, I'll turn that over to you. Thank you, Sherry. I'd like to start by uh, directing a question to Mr. Keller. So as Sherry said, Mr. Keller is the current CEO for Dignity Health Memorial Hospital in Bakersfield. He's also the board chair of the American Heart Association, as well as the board of directors on the board of directors for the Ronald McDonald House Charities in Bakersfield. He's an MBA from the University of New Orleans. And Ken, for the college students that are trying to figure out what route they can take in their careers and lives, could you tell us a little bit about your journey that you took to get to where you are today? Um, sure. And uh, I greatly appreciate the time and the invite to spend with you, with you this morning. Well, this afternoon. My career was kind of set out early on in that my family as a whole is involved in healthcare. Grandfather was a physician. Mother was a practice administrator. Two sisters in healthcare. Brother is a healthcare IT guy and always had the desire to be in healthcare. kind of grew up doing volunteer work and other things associated with one of the leading hospitals in baton rouge area which is where i, I was born and raised the question was more around where within healthcare, and the exploration on whether to be a physician whether to be a medical sales rep whether to be somewhere within administration of one form or another within healthcare really uh, was designed through and decided upon through conversation through first of all through the investigation of what I learned through school 
Secondly, through further research and conversations with professionals that were in the field and have been in the field for a while, everything from doctors to physical therapists to physician assistants, nurses, uh, clinic administrators, hospital administrators, and others. Uh, and at the end of the day, for me, what it ended up coming back to was, was always going to be involved in a career that worked to help people within healthcare. Uh, but rather than be a clinician myself, um, be the one to help to support those care providers. In the term I use, knock down the blocks, uh, take down the barricades, you know, remove the obstacles uh, that impedes them from doing what they do. Mm. Uh, and had a lot of people that helped along the way in providing guidance, counsel, uh, mentoring, development, uh, Ken, I heard about this opportunity over there. You might want to do, you know, you might want to talk to somebody about it. Uh, professor so-and-so um, in healthcare, uh, I heard a new physician moved into the community. You may want to connect with him to learn what he's doing and what drove him here. So I had a lot of outreach and effort and support to get me to where I am. And once I made the decision, uh, had people help to open the doors um, through encouragement, through mentoring, through coaching. And it's one of the things that I think that we as leaders should be doing to help the futures, um, future people as well. Ken, so us college students think that we have stressful lives. A Bakersfield Memorial Hospital is a 426 bed acute care medical center. How do you handle the stresses of being responsible for such a large hospital and so many lives and people? Uh, well, first of all, it's not just me, it's a team. Uh, and I, I have the benefit from being surrounded through an exceptional team that my boss, the gentleman that I replaced, John Van Pony, kind of put together. Uh, and so we have a tremendous effort around ownership, around supporting each other, as well as around making sure that at the end of the day, we realize it's once again, not about us, it's about what we're doing to make, make it easier for people like Dr. Baines, for our caregivers and caring for the patients, because at the end of the day, we're here to serve the community. Thank you, Ken. I will direct my next question to Dr. Jasmine Baines. As Sherry had said, Dr. Jasmine Baines is the doctor of family medicine at Dignity Health Medical Group in Bakersfield. He is currently performing immunization administration, injecting the COVID-19 vaccine into patients at Dignity Health. Dr. Baines is also chair on the California Healthcare Workforce Policy Commission and the Kern County representative for the Environmental Justice Advisory Group. Jasmine, for the college students that are trying to figure out exactly what we should do in our careers and with our lives, could you tell us about the journey that you took to get from being a college student to where you are today? Sure. First of all, it's so great to see so many familiar faces in the room. Um, I really, really, really miss Taft. Um, I want to thank Taft Talks, Sherry, and Ken Keller for inviting me on here. I think listening to Ken's talk, my life was kind of opposite. <laughs> I didn't necessarily grow up thinking I was going to be a doctor. I think my family comes from a business background, and I really thought I was going to end up being in business for since I was a child. 
healthcare for me is something I fell in love with and really enjoy what I do more recently. So I think, especially when I was in college, trying to figure out where I want to go, I, I was thinking engineering, I was thinking physics, I was thinking all kinds of things. And then I sold cars for a while. Um, and I think it was really my time in Taft that I spent selling cars that really inspired me it really invoked a couple of questions in my brain about rural health care, especially when you saw the economic downtrend in 2008. It really, I mean, it was devastating. People lost their homes. And what really wasn't talked about was the impact on health care. And I remember wondering at that time, you know, no one's talking about how healthcare is doing, and there's going to be a time when healthcare is going to be discussed, and I hope it's not going to be something as devastating as COVID-19. I think what we saw this past year was problems that were in the healthcare system for a very long time. Um, they're being brought to light now, and I think that's something that really encouraged me to go into medicine and become a physician, but no, I didn't always think I was going to be a doctor. I thought I was going to go into business and that's what I was going to do. My family comes for business, but it's something I really enjoy doing, especially when you work for awesome people that take all your crazy ideas seriously. <laughs> um, it's, it's a pleasure where I'm at, but I really, really do miss Taft. I miss everyone in the room. I think it's great that you, uh, Dr. Baines and, and Mr. Keller, have gone into something in which you really find meaning in. I think that's something that uh, a lot of people would like to have and the opportunity just to help others. I think it can add meaning to our career choices in, in our lives. And we can go ahead and start our Q&A session. So for the entire audience, we'd love it if you guys would write any questions that you have for Dr. Baines and Mr. Keller concerning uh, the pandemic or anything else that you'd like to like that you'd like to ask. And while you all put those into the chat, I will go ahead and start with uh, one of the questions that I came up with myself. So I think all Taft College students would be really interested in this answer. When will healthy college age students have the opportunity to be vaccinated? <laughs> That's a very good question. I'll, I'll, I'll try to start and I'll leave it to Dr. Baines to actually answer the question. At the end of the day, if you guys remember, there has been a tier structure that's been set up to prioritize um, people into given populations based upon what the uh, experts through the Centers of Disease Control, the CDC, uh, and others stratify that risk and, and anticipate as an example, and I'm gonna pick on one of the people that's in the, in the book here, as an example, an elderly gentleman such as myself and Jerry Starr um, <laughs> that may have health conditions um, may be at more of a higher risk of developing COVID if we're exposed to it than a young, healthy marathon runner like Joshua. <laughs> uh, working in healthcare may predispose us to be at risk rather than a construction person 
that works outside and gets a lot of fresh air a lot of the time. So uh, people that are a lot smarter than us basically categorize based upon age, health conditions, uh, the industry in which you work and the potential exposure associated with that industry and a number of other factors and came out with a tiering system that says from A to Z, here's what we anticipate uh, are the most high risk to the lowest risk uh, and the timing of when those tiers uh, are offered the vaccination is now kind of subject to a randomization for the regulators telling us when and where. Uh, so right now we're still kind of looking towards the state to say what's the next group of people to be or the next tier of people to be vaccinated. Uh, and as much as I hate to tell you college students, you're kind of at the end of the line. <laughs> Which I think makes perfect sense. Like a, a young person that's in, uh, in good health is, is at less risk of developing this disease than somebody who's older or somebody that has conditions. So I guess while we won't be able to have the vaccine for a while, the average college student, I wanted to ask about how we can at least go about making sure that we don't get the, we don't contract virus in the meantime. So how efficient are masks really in preventing COVID-19 and are the N95 masks really superior to the other masks that we could be wearing? So my disclaimer is that I don't do clinical. And so I'm going to ask that question to Dr. Baines. Um, you asked a great question. So um, with the N95 specifically, this is a mask that's been around for a very long time. Um, it's something that you need to be fitted for, first of all. So there's several different N95 masks that are available. And the importance of that N95 is there's this hood that you put over your head to be tested for it to make sure there's no leaks in the mask. So if you haven't been fitted for that by a certified fitter, um, your N95 is probably no better than just a cloth mask at this point. Um, and that's something that um, was an issue way before COVID. Um, California never had enough N95 masks. And this I personally discovered when I was doing my research project on valley fever. Um, when we had the earthquakes, there were spores of valley fever that were dispersed in the air. And I was able to prove that valley fever was present at around the, the crack in uh, Ridge, up north from Ridgecrest or east from Ridgecrest. Um, at that time, I used that research paper and went to the public health department and I asked them, I said, you know, you really need to protect um, your first responders that respond to this, uh, to scenes of disaster, especially earthquakes with N95 masks because N95 masks will protect you from contracting valley fever. That time I was told there is not a supply of N95 masks. And this was August of the year before any of this happened. And I remember asking the question, why do we not have enough N95 masks? And the answer was, there's no need. 
So, uh, great question. Um, a lot of things in healthcare were present way before the pandemic. Um, I think it brought a light to a lot of things that were going um, that were going unnoticed. Um, but if you are not properly fitted for an N95 mask, it's no useful more than just a cloth mask at this point. Okay, and. I have, I have a follow-up question about uh, getting fitted for those masks. But I just want to remind the audience that they can go ahead and put their questions for Dr. Baines and Mr. Keller into the chat. And uh, Mejia will be collecting them and, and putting them into a document for me to, to ask. So, uh, Joshua, if you don't mind, before you hit that follow-up question, okay. Dr. Baines, in, in her answer, brought one thing up that I was, uh, that I was going to mention. Um, if you think about, I'll call it, what has transpired with this um, pandemic of coronavirus, COVID, it has surfaced a tremendous amount of, call it, business issues within the delivery of healthcare that we're going to have to be solving for and have solved for some of them, but solving for over the next 10 to 20 years, mm -hmm. as an example a huge dearth of N95 masks, as well as many of the other basic um, PPE that you've been hearing about, that personal protective equipment. Second is not only did we not have it, but the necessary supply chains to get it from wherever it was to those in need. Third is the cost associated with those those supplies and many others. So, you know, separate and apart from the disease that this pandemic has caused, uh, this has also surfaced, planned for, and impacted the business of healthcare for the future generation to, to work through. And one of the things that many of us on the operational side, and I know the physicians are as well, is looking at how is healthcare going to transform to solve for many of the issues that have been uh, raised through this, whether it's uh, you know inequities in the delivery of healthcare in the vulnerable populations and the rural markets like Taft and others, whether it's um, access to drugs, um, the appropriate treatment medications, and a number of other things. So, uh, as you go back to your question you might want to park that for the future because that's going to be something, and this is a challenge to you as college students, to be thinking about as your pathways uh, mm -hmm. on potential solutions and business opportunities to impact and drive health care's finance and delivery going forward. Wow. Uh, and would one of those uh, opportunities, I guess, for business students to be to maybe work for one of the companies that manufactures these fat, these masks and other equipment or? That's, that's one of a myriad of opportunities that are gonna surface as a result of this. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, thank you, Ken and uh, doc Dr. Baines. So about getting fitted for these masks, you said that for the N95 to be more effective than just a regular cloth mask. We have to see a certified fitter. It, how can we see a certified fitter? Are they in hospitals or? 
so um, N95 masks were designed for people in healthcare. Um, it's really was never available outside of that until recently um, due to mass production of N95 masks. Most of the places that I know to get fit tested for are through um, your, you can actually, act, I think you can get it done through your current public health department as well. I'm not sure, don't quote me on that, but that would be the avenue. Um, I just don't know what the options would be outside of healthcare. I know for healthcare, it's usually our employer provides that, um, but I can find that out and get back to you guys. Great. My and God. I see Mahaya is putting, I'm sorry. I, I might comment, um, in my experience in the inpatient facility, Respiratory therapists are the ones that fit the N95 masks to the staff. Um, I believe uh, we have one or two persons, but not respiratory therapists, uh, that are certified to test for N95s. Um, on the, and we'd have to set up some sort of a program that we might uh, be able to assist in that. That should probably be a conversation we have offline uh, between the clinic and the college. I would have some other comments on uh, um, Dr. Baines uh, and, and, and the young fellow, Ken Keller's uh, comments uh, when uh, Sherry wants to give me the floor. Okay. I, I didn't get that last word that you said when Sherry wants to what? Give me the floor. Give, give you me the floor. <laughs> yes, yeah, so for, for everyone who doesn't know, this is Jerry Starr uh, from the, the Westside Healthcare District out in Taft. And I'm so glad that you're on today, Jerry, because along with Dr. Baines and Ken Keller, we, we are so lucky to have all of this wonderful brain power right here on our Zoom. I do want to say welcome, Senator Shannon Grove. Thank you for jumping on today. I know you wanted to be on with us. It's such a pleasure to have you here and, and everyone else as well. But I saw that Shannon jumped on and Shannon, I know this is, you know, you've been dealing with this pandemic now for over a year. Anything from Sacramento that you'd like to tell us? <laughs> so um, I appreciate you let me join for just a few minutes. I just finished um, the full budget committee. I have about seven minutes and I have to go into budget sub five. So I just wanted to jump on for a minute. I do know that the vaccine distribution program is going to change. The governor's made announcements. Um, statewide appointments will be taken over, I believe, as of Monday is what I understand. Um, but, the, um, you know, bringing in the TPA Blue Shield, they're supposed to partner with what already is happening in local communities like our Kern County area that already has a, a robust vaccine distribution program in place. Mm -hmm. um, they just need the vaccines to be able to administer um, and, you know, not be in a backlog. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, Blue Shield, and we did have a conversation with them, that they are going to uphold that, that um, what's already in place in Taft, the West Side, um, all the way over in East Kern um, and other counties, uh, they'll they'll uphold that and do that and support that instead of um, just coming and taking over and starting from scratch. Uh, on a lighter note, budget committee that we just passed, passed a lot of dollars out there for your community colleges. So um, you guys should have resources coming for CalFresh benefits for students, um, food security issues, additional dollars for some, you know, um, uh, infrastructure stuff that needs to be done. Mm, so that should send you all those details in an email so you have it. And um, I just tell you that you guys have two phenomenal speakers today, <laughs> Dr. Jasmine Baines and um, Ken Keller. I have to tell you that there's, I know a, legislators have to have a 
like a, a, you have to be a jack of all trades and a, and a master at none. And so I can tell you that these two individuals that you have have been extremely responsive to even my poor Ken Keller, 3 a.m. phone calls or 3 a.m. texts, um, where they give me the right answers that I need in order to make the decisions that I make up here on, on everybody's behalf in Kern County. So I applaud the speakers that you have and, and thank you for letting me jump on and say hi. Thank you for getting on, Shannon. Thank you for all you're doing for California and especially Kern Counties. Thank you for being a great representative for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Grove. Greatly appreciate it. Yes. Thank you guys. So, much. so good to see you, Senator Grove. <laughs> As you can tell, there's a lot of friendships that have taken place over, over the time. And I know Jasmine and Shannon are very good friends. Jerry, we will definitely let you take the floor in just a moment. I know later in the show, we're going to allow Jasmine and Ken to sort of go organic and talk to us about different things that are going on with them. But I know Joshua, you and Mahan may have a few more questions for our group, do you? Yes, we do. Okay. And I'd like to start with one from Lori Travis, who okay. is a communications professor at our college. And Lori asks, what is the difference between a N95 mask <laughs> and a KN95 mask? And do you need to be fitted for a KN95 mask also? Do you recommend double masking? Hmm. Real quick, I kind of want to put a caution out there real quick. Um, masking was brought into place as in last effort because we really didn't know what to do. Um, N95 has been designed for people that are at high risk of exposure. And that's usually people like your healthcare workers. So right now, the CDC doesn't recommend that you need an N95 outside of healthcare environment. Um, and that would be if you're specifically seeing patients um, that are COVID positive. So right now, it's really just having a mask. Um, double masking was something that we looked at early last year. We didn't, the studies really are not supportive of if yay or nay versus double masking versus masking. I think um, CDC at this point is going through those options, but wearing a mask is an effort to try to protect our community to the best of our ability. I think, I don't know if Ken had anything to add on to that. Well, the, the other piece is typically the distinction is KN95 is for industrial use. Uh, and that includes construction workers, farm workers, uh, painters, and things to that effect. It was really designed for the non-medical application where you still need the uh, prevention of inhaling contaminants, whatever they may be, whether it's paint fumes, uh, chemical fumes, or uh, asbestos dust and so forth. So that was the demarcation between the use of a of a mask for medical use versus non-medical use. And I may be overstating this, but basically the design, the protection, um, what it intends to do and how it does how it does it is literally exactly the same. It's determined at the time of you know finishing, if you would, as to whether or not it's medical and it goes down one conveyor belt versus non-medical. 
into mm -hmm. a different conveyor belt. Wow. Dr. Baines, being that, um, that you say that these masks were designed or should be used by people that are at a very high risk of contracting the virus, would you recommend the average person to go out and find these masks or just to settle with the normal cloth masks? Uh, at this point, CDC does not recommend N95 outside of the healthcare environment. So um, if you really are at high risk of, have, of contracting COVID and being really sick from it, um, I would recommend seeing your doctor and seeing what options there are. Um, however, at this point, a mask is what is recommended by CDC. And, and if I could, here's a, here's a couple of other things to kind of think about. Um, in terms of disease and illness, coronavirus is new to us, but it has a lot of the same characteristics as the flu mm -hmm. or some of the viruses that we've been dealing with for years. So a lot of those safe practices, those safety things that we talk about, whether it's frequently washing your hands, making sure that the surfaces in your house or the areas that you connect with are clean, uh, wearing masks uh, and, and a number of those other things. If you think about it, we, we tried to tell people to do that previously when it was flu season. Mm. Uh, it just didn't necessarily stick uh, near as well as those practices around specifically for COVID. And uh, one of the things that has transpired for us in the hospital industry is if you think about it, we run on a, our, our census in which we get busiest is almost like on a cycle. Uh, during the fall to winter, we get really busy. During spring to summer, we typically um, relax and aren't near as busy. And then fall, we ramp up again. And the reason for that is generally speaking, winter flu mm. hits us pretty hard and our hospitalizations go up during flu season. This year, believe it or not, so far through February the 18th, uh, Memorial has had two cases of flu. This time of year, last year and previous years, we will have seen hundreds of flu cases. So one of the byproducts that we believe, and this is a non-clinician speaking, but one of the byproducts we believe is those safe practices that we've deployed to try to prevent and deter and, and slow the spread of COVID is having a significant impact on flu as well. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Keller, do you see that after the vaccine has been distributed, uh, I guess, throughout the general population that people will continue to wear masks just to prevent something like this occurring again? Uh, I personally believe that we'll be in the mask business for at least another 18 months or so. Uh, I also believe that similar to many of the other uh, countries that you see throughout, um, I'll say the Eastern Rim, um, at the hint of either a an illness or something like that, that will be more, I'll say more attuned to putting a mask on to percent, to really protect others as well as ourselves. Thank you. We have a question from Maisha Katrona, who is the Taft College Student Life Coordinator. She asks, 
As medical professionals, do you feel that athletic competition can be done safely? Do you see a correlation between the lack of athletic participation and mental health issues among the youth and college students? I'm gonna let you start, Dr. Baines. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, a mental health aspect is huge. Um, I was seeing it in Taft. I'm seeing it here in Bakersfield. Um, I have adolescents come in all the time battling with anxiety, depression from isolation. Um, it's, it's a huge problem. And it, a lot of it has to do with the sudden change so fast and lack of communication. I think, especially if you aren't in the healthcare industry, I often wonder what you guys are thinking about all of what is going on, um, you know, and, and that uncertainty can definitely bring out a lot of mental health illness and a lot of um, underlying mental health illness, people that have had mental health illness can be brought out more, especially in times of uncertainty. So yeah, I do worry about that. I do see increased cases of anxiety and depression. Um, it's in all age groups. It affects everyone equally. Um, I think parents, all parents usually have more of a, access to information than adolescents. Um, and so adolescents usually rely on their parents for information. So it's it's usually more in adolescents is what I'm seeing, but it's really in all age groups. Um, and the questions that you're asking, I don't think we really know at this point. I mean, this was a virus that took us, you know, kind of blindsided us. Um, personally, I didn't know the effects of what this could have done um, because we really didn't investigate what was happening um, overseas um, and it kind of blindsided us. But when it comes to sports and participation, that's really going to be with time. We need to see, you know, if the penetrance of the virus is less in our, less in our communities. I mean, we are seeing cases go down, which is a great sign. Um, will they continue to decline? Great, but what if they don't? Um, and I think we really don't know the answer to that right now. Um, I really pray and hope that they decline because I could really use a vacation right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip that for just a couple of seconds as well, and a couple of things to think about. Uh, first is the amount of creativity and the amount of flexibility that has been shown uh, uh, across populations, whether it's the, the teenagers and the young school children and so forth, um, has been a tremendous uh, effort. And I'll say the challenge could be and should be is you're never gonna, you're not gonna be at 100% of what you were as the previous normal. But if there's an opportunity to get outside and go for a hike, if there's an opportunity given like a day like today just to go sit in the sun while you read a book, um, the opportunity to connect through this medium with family and friends and others, um, you know, use those as opportunities to bring pockets of what you used to do uh, to help, um, I'll say to help within that effort. Uh, and the other one is, you know, one of the things that, that we talk about within healthcare 
is a disaster. When a disaster happens, like the earthquake that Dr. Maines mentioned uh, last year, typically that's a singular event that has a duration of maybe a day, two days, or something like that. And then there's a recovery period, right? You know, you know. So you have you have an earthquake. It takes 45 seconds. It beats the heck out of wherever it is. It causes lots of damage. But once that's done, then you have the rush of people to respond and recovery takes place, whether it's you know rebuilding, reformatting, and a number of other things. This disaster has now been going on in this community for over a year. The duration of that and the fatigue that everybody has been dealing with is compounding that effort. And so the, the challenge would be don't be afraid to talk to somebody about it. Mm-hmm. And that somebody can be a friend, it can be a professional, it can be a colleague, um, and you know, seek ways to be able to communicate about it because that's one of the things that we've been focusing on with our own team over the last three to four months is wow. giving them pockets of time to be themselves Brilliant. and detach from being on the front lines and figure out some ways to support them through it is is gonna be needed for for everybody, not just I'll say the 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 workers, but also the community at large. Yeah. And, oh. and with that, mental health has been an issue um, in our society for a very long time. Before the pandemic, we were in an epidemic of mental health um, and undiagnosed mental health, unaddressed mental health and opioid addiction, uh, opioid abuse, substance abuse. Um, we were really in a position uh, where stats were showing that a lot of people were going undiagnosed. Um, and this was way before the pandemic. And, you know, like I said before, a lot has been brought to light um, because of the pandemic, because of the coronavirus. Um, and this was an issue much before. I saw it intact all the time. Um, and we worked with the community, we worked with the high school and the college to, you know, increase mental health access. I, it inspired me to get my primary care psychiatric fellowship. And I did that while I was in Taft in order to open up um, that service to the community. And it's, it was very well taken. I was able to see quite a bit of patients and, um, you know, that needs to continue even more now. For people that are trying to figure out a way to cope with being in relative isolation, uh, we've spoken about uh, going outside when you can and surrounding yourself with friends and family virtually, since we can't do it physically. Are there any other practices and habits that we can develop to sustain our mental health during these times? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to a couple of, um, number one is you, you have an immediate household and in many of the cases that immediate household, you don't have to worry about masking and and all the other elements. So, you know, that circle of of family, uh, is always one very good reinforcement to support with. Mm. Secondly is, you know, the, the practices around the safe distancing and those other elements shouldn't necessarily prevent you from connecting with people appropriately. 
So, you know, if you are, again, out at the park and have a, fr a few friends to meet and connect at the park, do so, whether it's the Frisbee golf, and I forget exactly what the name of it is, uh, you know, but if you're doing something like that, if you're out um, playing golf itself, uh, you have an opportunity to do so. Just be cognizant of those elements that people talk about to make sure that you are still practicing those safe habits so that you minimize the potential for exposure and minimize the risk for uh, either giving or contracting the illness. Yep. Right on. I second everything Ken has said. Um, it's really about innovating and being creative, but at the same time, doing everything we can to um, reach out to others. And, um, you know, and that can mean anyone, you know, in any age group, just reaching out to people, telling them that you're there um, because somebody might seem okay, but they're really not. Um, I think a lot of people will hide their internal feelings and make it seem like everything's okay, but they're really not. So reach out to, you know, people um, and definitely, you know, instead of calling someone, Zoom them, right? <laughs> um, see them face to face. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and, and take advantage of the downtime. I mean, you know, create a new hobby, um, I, you know, sign up for some Zoom Zumba, Zumba classes or something. There's so many options. You know, here, here's, here's an opportunity. Um, you know, right now, Lent started yesterday. And one thing that people that practice, you know, practice Lent think about is giving something up on it, you know, throughout the Lent season. Yeah. Uh, one of the challenges might be turn that around and take a day or you know, call a friend. Call, call a family member that you haven't talked to in a while. Uh, look in your contact list and just pick somebody at random. Check in with them, see how they're doing. You'll be surprised how much it helps you as well as, as, well as it does them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Our guest, Michael Parent, has a question concerning the different vaccines that are available. I believe there's two available, and I'm, I believe that there's more on the way. He asks, do you two have a preference for vaccines? I'm gonna ask answer that from a logistics standpoint and I'm gonna ask Dr. Baines to talk about it from a medical standpoint. Uh, the two vaccines that are out right now, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, uh, have some fundamental differences in how you deliver, how you store, how you maintain, and how you actually administer them such that simply from that pure standpoint of the logistics involved, the Moderna vaccine is an easier vaccine to handle for distribution and for administration. Uh, but from a clinical standpoint, I'm going to defer, defer to Dr. Baines. Yeah, um, it's they're really the same. Um, Pfizer came out first. Um, and then Moderna came out second. There's more supply of Moderna right now, um, and Pfizer's ramping up. Um, the, the research behind these vaccines is new, but that has been research that has been taking into place for a very long time. So it's really not new research. It's a new uh, vaccine, and it 
And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that there really is no money for research in science. Um, all the money that was put behind creating this vaccine was pushed. Um, and there's been years and years of research on the mRNA virus uh, vaccine that has been going and delayed because of lack of funding for research. I mean, breast, breast cancer research, just take that. It's always been lacking in funding. And I think since this took such, um, you know, awareness, um, the funding was there and it was available and they created it. Um, but they're both the same. Um, the theory behind the mRNA vaccine has been around for a while. Um, it's not new. The vaccine itself is new, um, but the research behind it has been around for a while. And, and guys, here's another, here's another, I'll call it business aspect and in, in force to this as well. Um, you heard, you heard the word project warp speed, right? That is, that was the collaborative effort from the federal government, from industry, those pharmaceutical companies, research companies and others. Uh, distribution systems and others to get us from having nothing to available vaccines that had been trialed and confirmed that they were effective and safe, basically in about 18 months from the from the time that it said go. So number one is the normal time for a new drug to start from an idea to the time that it's available is normally somewhere between 12 to 15 years. Wow. So think about that collapse uh, in the time and all those steps that they still had to take to get us from where they were with zero to where they could actually start. And for you college students out there, you need to do a research and don't just Google it, read through it as well on a uh, thing that was called the Manhattan Project. Wow. Whether you believe the outcome or not, the Manhattan Project was another series by which the federal government at the time brought in industry to solve for a huge problem and was another way that it's, it can demonstrate that when people work together as opposed to cross purposes, you can get an extremely successful result uh, in a short amount of time to solve a major problem. And coming back to today's standpoint, object, I'm sorry, project warp speed is again going to infuse some new techniques and new learnings for the delivery of healthcare and the industry of healthcare for the next generation. Very good, Joshua. We are going to move forward. We've got, we're probably going to go a little over one o'clock today. So if you have to leave, that's fine. But we always try to leave ourselves a little flexibility because we want to hear what Dr. Baines and Ken Keller prepared to talk to us about today. They've got some organic narrative is how I'll put it. And I wanna definitely go to Ken and give him a chance to speak. And Jerry, we will give you a moment to speak as well because I know that you have some things you'd like to talk to us about. Jerry Starr is local at our West Side Healthcare District and this may be important for our local college students. So please hang on. And then if you're still on, we're gonna give away a $50 Amazon card to somebody who's on today. So hang with us. So I hope you can stay with us a little bit longer. Ken Keller. Not, not for you, Dr. Page. you don't get a $50 card. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, actually, I tell you what. You know, I was thinking that. <laughs> Can I get it? <laughs> uh, why, why don't we let Dr. Baines? Why don't we let Dr. Baines go first? Okay. She, very she, good. Um, hers is more important in terms of. Uh, All right. So you got about eight, nine, ten minutes ish. Um, I, I don't think what I have to say is more important than anyone. Um, <laughs> I think honestly, um, it's two different aspects, really. Um, this past year has been so unimaginably challenging, especially for me. Um, and it put me in situations that I, I really never thought I would be put in. I mean, just to give you some examples, um, I would go, I, I went from holding the hand of a patient with COVID-19 struggling to breathe to embracing a lost fetus whose father self-medicated with alcohol to cope with losing his job in the oil fields, <sighs> battling his unaddressed PTSD from years of service in the U.S. military, leading to an argument resulting in him pushing his pregnant wife down the stairs. Um, and that's a real story that I witnessed. Um, I went from providing care to teenagers battling with thoughts of suicide while they suffered mental breakdowns from isolations. I even had that with teachers, um, one recently. Um, I went from that to stitching up a firefighter who accidentally dropped a chainsaw on himself um, oh to providing care to a police officer who was hit in the head during a riot because he was protecting a peaceful protester. I went from that to hustling to explain COVID to the farm working community, um, providing education materials in different languages, um, especially for a population that had no understanding of this virus and the fact that they were at highest risk of contracting and dying from it. Um, then I was catapulted to the front lines of the California wildfires. Um, and I ended up staffing the COVID surge sites with the alternate care site um, with the Emergency Medical Services Authority. I was pulled all over. Um, and I think one thing that really inspired me to keep it together this past year was when I turned around and I looked at how many people came together, um, especially what Ken was saying about Operation Warp Speed, you had this incredible team of people that came together to solve a problem. It's unheard of to have a vaccine come out within a year and a half. Um, but with teamwork, with all eyes on the table, it really inspired me to believe that that is what we really need to move forward. There's a lot of work to be done. Just what Ken was saying, I mean, this is something we're gonna have to deal with for a very long time, looking at healthcare, addressing the problems, healthcare inequities, um, you name it. There's a lot of work to be done and that's not going to be one person. That's going to be people working together. You working with people you don't even wanna work with, <laughs> but you have to work with and learning how to work with them, how to compromise, how to come to a conclusion that's really the key of progression um and that's something i learned 
uh, tenfold over this past year. And the other thing that inspired me was our dedicated healthcare workforce. Um, we have some amazing heroic workforce um, that put down everything and put all hands on deck to provide care and save as many lives as possible. And yes, last year was terribly challenging, but also at the same time, there were amazing inspirational stories. And I challenge and encourage, especially college students out there, look them up, be inspired by the stories that are out there and be inspired to learn from those stories and move forward. Thank you, thank you. And just to augment that a little bit is, you know, in, in the very early days, and it's still happening to a certain extent, the images that you see on the newscast, uh, on the commercials, initially a lot of those stories were put together to sensationalize the issue and sensationalize what was going on. But behind them, you know, you saw nurses, uh, technicians, caregivers, both in the worst light because of what they had to do, but in the best light in terms of how they were doing it. The compassion that they showed, the problems that they solved, the fact that they were in many cases, as Dr. Baines mentioned, they were the last patient, they were the last person with a patient because that patient could not have a family member with them. They said goodbye to probably tenfold the number of people in a year than they would normally see in a lifetime because of what they were dealing with. And, you know, from my standpoint, that's what inspires me and brings me back to work on a daily basis because as I mentioned at the beginning, my job, if I do it right, is to try to clear the obstacles so they can focus on what they do and be there for the uh, sacred moments and caring for a patient. And we collectively do it to meet the needs of the community. And that's not gonna change. Um, the, the problems to solve, the questions to answer, um, the, and people get, you know, I'm not going to get frustrated, but people, when you hear the business of healthcare, at the end of the day, we're here to take care of patients, but we're also here to make sure that we're going to be here in the next five to 10 to 15 years for those patients to come around in the community from that standpoint. So we have to make some form of a return so that we can reinvest over the coming year, five, 10 years. And doing that in such a way that we, if you would shield the caregivers so they don't have to worry about the fiscal impact, but we're keeping an eye to make sure that we're gonna be here for the long distance because we know Bakersfield, Taft, Lamont, Tehachapi, Ridgecrest and others are gonna be needing us. And so um, my goal is to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the community going forward. Last challenge back to the college students um, this has been a, 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 a brutal year, but also incredible year because of what has transpired and come around and the opportunities that are going to be set for you guys coming out in the next three, five, 15 years to be thinking about what you're going to be solving for within that time horizon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ken. Brilliant. Both, uh, Dr. Baines and Ken Keller, brilliant information. 
for us, Joshua. I know they're they're talking to you and all of all of the students out there and giving you great words of wisdom. So that's that's very kind. Thank you so much. We have a few minutes left, and I know that I promised our local local hero that he could have a few minutes. So Jerry, why don't you why don't you tell us what you'd like to tell us here in a few minutes, and then we'll give away our Amazon gift card. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Jerry. And uh, I just would say that. Uh, comments of Dr. Baines and Ken, there's just a lot of things that could be commented on extended um, and all very good points. I, I'm going to focus down to our clinic. Um, on March 13th, we've got the ribbon of 2020. On March 15th, the public uh, emergency was declared uh, and I've been uh, uh, so proud of the team that put that clinic together. Um, because what's happened over the past 12 months in response to COVID-19 is uh, impossible, more possible because of the clinic. Uh, we have been involved in COVID-19 uh, testing, both uh, PCR uh, testing and, and the rapid turnaround testing. We've done about 2,600 in that year. Uh, as of uh, uh, yesterday, we've done 850 vaccinations, just about. Uh, we should be able to do 150 uh, tomorrow. Ken uh, discussed the tier issues uh, as well as the supply chain issues. And matching the tier issues and the supply chain, uh, chain issues have been very uh, problematic. Uh, we're, uh, we were searching for patients to vaccinate or vaccinees or not patients, I guess. I don't uh, tomorrow, we're pulling them as far away as Fraser Park and Lebec. Uh, they had to be Crown County residents. Uh, the ultimate solution to where we're going is community immunity. Some people call it herd, herd immunity. I'm not sure that association is exactly what I prefer, but community immunity. And that's going to be a combination of those that uh, become in contact with COVID, become uh, uh, go through COVID, they become uh, immune on their own antibodies. Uh, it, it will also be from that vaccine and getting that vaccine. We are giving the Moderna vaccine because of the logistic issues mentioned in the management of the vaccines. Uh, the Moderna comes in two doses, 28 days apart. Uh, Moderna is 94% effective. It is safe. Uh, advice uh, to the uh, 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 to Joshua and all of the folks that have inquired uh, what has been mentioned already about social distancing, hand washing, and masking, whether it's the N95 or whatever. Use the best mask you can. Uh, uh, if you're using some of the more commercial brands, you know, change it frequently. Uh, and don't respond to all the fear that's out there. Uh, as Ken mentioned, we're pretty young, uh, and I probably have more young than he is. Uh, and so I remember the red tags on homes in Winslow, Arizona, that said that population had diphtheria in there, and you can't go in there. And I can remember German measles vaccinations, and the salt vaccine, and the Sabin vaccine, uh, and uh, smallpox has gone away, and we will, in fact, uh, defeat this thing. We're, we're a strong uh, uh, human species. Uh, and don't, um, don't succumb 
because of fear, in my opinion, now this is coming opinion, that you hear in the media. Uh, Joshua, the, these numbers are, uh, are uh, national as of January 16th. The positive rate from zero to 17, eight years of age is 12.7%. The mortality rate is less than a tenth of percent. You move up one category to 18 uh, to 49, the positive rate goes way up. That's the social activity of that age group. But a mortality rate is 6.6%. Really bad if you're one of the 6.6%, but there's another 93.4% out there uh, that, uh, that may not be affected by it. However, for us youngsters, uh, over 65, and that's the reason for the tears, 10.6% positive rate because we tend to be isolated, but if we contact COVID, it's 74%, almost 75% mortality. Mm. So we're going to get through this thing. Don't respond to fear. Practice social distancing. Uh, and as soon as we get some tears to open up and the supplies to match, we'll reach out with those vaccines, uh, vaccines on the west side. So... Thank you. Thank you so much, Jerry. More words so good to hear your voice. Um, I just wanted, sorry, Sherry. I just no, go ahead, say, Jasmine. Yeah. Um, Mr. Starr, I have been so indebted to your support while I was in Taft. Um, I remember when you came to our clinic and gave us all face shields, and I appreciate that. And I appreciated all that you did for Taft and what you are doing for Taft right now. And thank you, really, really from the bottom of my heart, thank you um, for being there. I appreciate that and those face shields and those masks and all of the things that have come together are very much the community response that uh, both, uh, both you and Ken have talked about. Thank you so much, all of you for what you do and thank you for sharing and taking the time out of your busy schedules to share with us today and everyone else that's on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Well, we call it a Zoom podcast today, but if you have any friends that may wanna hear this, and this is really good information, our uh, podcast will be available on iTunes probably within about 24 hours. So you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, just type in Taft Sea Talks and you'll find us and you'll be able to listen to this. So without further ado, I'm gonna turn this over to Joshua and Mejia, do you guys have a name of our winner for our Amazon gift card? Yes, to show our gratitude to our viewers, we are giving away a $50 Amazon gift card. And the winner for today is Sydney Noel. So Sydney Noel, thank you for being with us today. And Mejia, thank you so you. much. Thank you. <laughs> I have been um, pretty much um, this has been a wonderful month um, being with uh, ASO um, and this Tashi talk is amazing. I can't believe it that I, I'm winning a gift card. It's I, <laughs> I feel like it. I feel like I just want to say thank you for everything. It's just I have been um, dealing with a lot of stress this month um, with losses and stuff right now with COVID. Oh. And I had my birthday, so that's going to be kind of a gift card for me to birthday this year. I just want to say I'm incredibly, incredibly thank you for 
everything that I have been until with such um, up and downs right now with school, with being in clubs, and living at home. Um, and I, when I started TAF, I had not the greatest semester. Um, looking back now, I am now greatest semester that I had last semester. <laughs> and this is my second semester, which is, which is, which is crazy because I started such a very quick month when I started in August. And when I started ASO, it was a good start to meet people with student body of Taft College, where I am right now. And it's, and I'm going to miss Josh Vasquez so much when you like graduates because there's nobody that would ever talk to you um, through email. And it would be different. He's gone. And I decided not to leave. I was going to leave. And I was like, nah, I can't. No. <laughs> it's going to be really hard. But you will Thank make you so it. Much. You will make it. And you are going to be wonderful. <laughs> and and I can't wait till I see you back on campus. And yes, me yes. Yes. Yes, I hope to have it by August. Yes. Yes, we have so many things to be thankful for. And I will agree with you that <laughs> yeah. Joshua Vasquez, believe me, if he wasn't going to transfer to a four year university, I would do everything I could to try to hire him <laughs> because he's amazing. <laughs> On that note, I thank you so much for. I, I'm so glad that you won that Amazon gift card. Happy birthday. And um, everyone so else that's on here today, you're all amazing. You're all, uh, we are all family at Taft College. And that's one thing that we take to the bank. We're small. We, we know each other. We uh, get to visit and we do everything we can for each other. And today, having our superheroes, our super health heroes on today, gives us information that we can use to stay safe and persevere because... I'll tell you, have dreams, keep going, persevere, <laughs> make it happen. You can do it. On that note, we're going to sign off now. I do want to say thank you again to everybody. We have another podcast coming March 11th, so look for the information, and we'll be talking to you all soon. Thanks for joining us today on our Taft Talk podcast. Appreciate all of you out there. We want you to tell your friends about joining us, so tune back in, and remember... What you listen to today will affect your future tomorrow.